trying to see if Marshall is in here. Is Marshall in here? Uh, I I'm apparently forgot to sing Jesus Loves Me at the early service where he was. And if he was right here, I'm going to sing it to make up for it. But he's not here, so I'll just make a course correction for next time. Second Samuel chapter 7, if you'll make your way there. You'll want to be here. Actually fun to cover, I think, because of, uh, uh, because of what it is. Just a couple things. First of all, I didn't even mention, I don't know if you, Michael and April are with us. I mean, Michael's been with us. I ain't no big deal to see him, but April's here. And uh, I just need to know, how exactly do you pronounce his name? Elon, not Elon, like Elon Musk, but Elon. So everybody say it together. Elon. That's that's how. You, that's just because I'm confused about exactly how to pronounce the name. So and we got to get used to it because he's here and he's coming here. He's going to grow up here, so we got to get used to Elon. We're probably going to have to correct him a lot, knowing who's his father. But anyway, so um, there's that. And and I was, just this one little observation. Just want to make. You see, I think this is the Sunday night crowd that might understand this a little bit. Talking to Cecil Wilkerson's family, preparing for that funeral, and they said something really interesting um, that he was really agitated in the last few days of his life, and they couldn't even be with him because of uh, some COVID regulation stuff. But before they they weren't able to be with him, he was really agitated. So they bring up the li- the, the worship service streamlined online, and they said, I, "They said we know he can't, he couldn't really." join with it and sing, and he probably couldn't really uh, follow the sermon, but they said as soon as it came on, he calmed. Now, I don't think, I'm not saying it's a miraculous thing. What I'm saying is there's something just about worship, whether you get anything out of the elements or not, right? Whether, whether you are able to participate or not. There's something about being in the presence of God's people before Him that just has this... I suppose that's why many of you are here, right? Because there's something about it. It does something... For me. Now, not everybody uh, maybe feels that way, but when, when they told me that, it just struck me. I thought, i got to con- convey that to you. It, it, listen, sometimes the sermon ain't all that great. The singing might be flat. But that has nothing to do... Really, with what happens here? Now, obviously it does. But it, there, there's something about being in the presence of God together as His people. It just makes this something... There's just no other place I'd rather be on a Sunday night, even with Olympics going on, than, than right here with where God's called us to be. We're in Second Samuel chapter 7, enough of that. Uh, I was going to have a really short sermon, and I've already lied, according to Paul, right, from this. We're in verse 18. Keep in mind that right before this, uh, David came up with this great idea. I want to build God this great big house. And he's so excited, he's just, he's just giggly about it, right? But God comes to him and says, mm, no thanks. God says no. But that's not where he stops. He says, no, I want to build you a house. It's an amazing thing. It's when you want to give somebody something great, but instead they turn around and give you something greater. But still he was told no and yet made him an amazing, breathtaking promise. It's, it's, it's you, I'm starting a dynasty with you that's going to end with your offspring on the throne forever. It's an amazing, breathtaking, a, a, a very honored uh, position to be in. Um, and while God says no to him, he, he makes him a promise that's even greater. And David has to accept that no. At first, it's a little shocking to him. 
Noah used to be when he was little, he'd say, Noah, no is a mean old word. And, and a lot of people think so. Uh, but David in this thing calls himself your servant over and over and over again, as if to say, it's whatever you say, God, whatever you say, I, I, I'm just your servant. And then God makes that amazing promise. You ever feel like total overwhelmed and grateful for what he's done for you? You just, for some reason, you're very sensitive and mindful of what all God's done for you and you just feel overwhelmed. That's what we're about to drop in with David about. Uh, he starts itemizing, really thinking deeply about what God has done for him. He takes the time to, we're going to see that, and it sinks in real hard. And he starts itemizing all the things that God has done, and he is completely overwhelmed, and in fact, speechless at first. God's done more than enough uh, to make us worship Him the rest of our lives if He does not one more thing. And sometimes you're so struck with that that you respond. And so this is what David did. Join me at verse 18. And I'm going to rewrite the verse. I rewrote it on the screen because it's not written right, okay? Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Between the 10th and 11th word, there's a lot of space. We just read on. We just uh, read the Don't just read on. Do you get it? He sat there. He sat in the presence of God and just was quiet. Now keep in mind something really interesting. This is the only place anywhere in Scripture where it says a person sat before God and prayed. They're always standing. They're always face to the ground, bowing. This is the place where David just sits with God. You ever do that? Don't say anything. Don't feel like uh, the, I'm going to gauge the quality of my prayer by how many words I say or how well I word what I want. I'm just going to sit in His... You ever do that? Just quietly sit. You don't have to say anything at all. I think that's what he did. And then he said, who am I? After all this pondering, he's sitting. Now, he's not thinking. his brain is not still. He's pondering. But he's just sitting there, and he's thinking about all that God has done, and his first thing he says is, who in the world am I that you should have done so much? You ever feel that way? We have a song like that. One line, I'm going to hope you, I hope you know it. If you don't, this is going to be a solo, and it will not be good. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I believe the first half is required before the second half is known. You must be still or you won't know it. You have to be still. And David... After this an amazing promise, he just sits. I picture him going into whatever the tent was. I don't know if it's still called the tabernacle or not. It isn't in the text, but he built a tent for it, and he put the Ark of Covenant in there. I see him sitting across from the Ark of the Covenant and just sitting there for a good long time, marveling at this God who is represented by this piece of furniture across from him. And he's just taking in this promise, this promise that is grander than anything anybody's heard, 
what God has done for him. And finally, he says, and who am I, O Lord God? What is my family, my house, that you have brought me this far? And yet this was no big deal to you. It was nothing hard for you to do. Everything you've done is so simple for you, and yet it's so grand to me. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. You've spoken even into a future I'll never see. And this instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. So the first thing he did, be still. Allow yourself to be overwhelmed with what God has done for you. Don't fill it with prayer requests just yet. Just take in what God has done for you. This is something we won't do every day. And they're not, there are days where you can't find the time to do this, but there'll be days where you can. And you just let yourself be properly overwhelmed. Be still. Be still and enumerate and itemize. Verse 22, he starts to speak in earnest, right? Verse 22, he makes a change. And he says, therefore, you are great. He begins his praise, right? You are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. There is no God beside you. According to all that we've heard with our ears, I've heard of you all my life, and I know how great things that you've done and how great you are. And who is like your people Israel, the people you've chosen and that you've enabled to become this great people, this one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. He starts talking about all the things that God is, but also what he's done for this people. If you change it and update it and you make it the church instead of Israel, which we are the Israel of God, you start making it the church, what more can you say? He starts making this list. He starts giving these exhibits in a court of law to prove the greatness of God and His favor for His people. And it's why the verdict has been rendered. Our God is the great God above any other thing that calls Himself a God in this world. Maybe the reason we don't praise Him more is because we don't enumerate in our minds everything that goes back to Him. How many good gifts that you have go back, can be traced back to the finger of God? Every single one of them. But you gotta trace it, y'all. You can't just generically say it. You gotta trace it. You gotta trace it, be convinced in your own mind, and strike yourself dumb by thinking about all the things He's done. Busy lives, y'all, make for bad memories, don't they? Busy lives. You don't have time to sit and think about what God has done for you, and you become forgetful. Because before you can really praise God, you've got to attribute to Him all the things He's done. And you've got to think of them and bring them to your consciousness. Make yourself mindful to be ignorant of the source of your blessings steals your praise. And so you start lining them up. You start thinking about them, becoming aware of how everything goes back to God. So David goes back into the past in his mind, and he realizes that everything in his life that's worth anything at all has God's fingerprint smack dab in the middle of it. And he looks at that, and he says, only you can do that. How in the world have you been that good to me? Have you ever asked that question? 
So first of all, he's just, he sits still in the presence of God. Second of all, he starts pondering who God is. And then he gets to the petition part, but this is, this is unlike most petitions in Scripture. He begins this in uh, um, verse 25. And now, and that's how you, that's how you trigger it. Three and nows. He says, and now, what I'm asking, and now, given what you've done, given what I know you've done, now let me, let me make a prayer request. And so here he goes, and now, verse 25, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you've spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, just as you've spoken. Do what you have said and promised. I'm asking you to do what you promised and your name will be magnified forever so that your name can go on and everybody will know it was you who did it, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you. I love this. It works like this, y'all. You've got to really think what he's done and what he's promised and then you go with bold petition. Now this is weird. He yields to God and then he starts insisting. And it almost sounds... It, it just almost sounds um, pushy. Um, but here's, here's how I see it. I, I wrote this. This is brilliant, so you wanna, you'll want to pause here for a minute and take in the greatness of this statement right here. Promises prompt praise producing prayers. Promises prompt praise producing prayers. It's if God says, I want to make promises, and then I want you to keep reminding me of them. I want you to keep asking for them. I want you to get bold and start asking for those promises. So he says in verse 25 and verse 26, keep your promise. The reason God makes a promise is because he knows there are areas in our lives where we're vulnerable, where we have a lot of concern and we have a lot of fretfulness. And God wants to root our hope and confidence in those areas that are traditionally very weak. And so he finds those places where we need a promise. He makes one. And then he says, I want you to pray about it. I've learned to do this more and more. I've, I've, I've learned uh, mostly from studying this one that I need to say to God, God, please keep your promises. It's, it sounds like you're saying you're worried that he won't, but that's not it. I'm just, I'm just reminding him that I know what it is and I'm counting on him and I want him to do it and I want him to know I know he's going to do it. And so the last prayer with Junior a couple, couple days ago, a few days ago, was God, keep your promise to this servant. And keep your promise to his wife. Because our God does make promises to us in those moments, doesn't He? You count on Him all your life, and in those moments of death, they become real serious. Look at verse 27, and it's one of the, it's, it's an amazing sentence, and I wanted to put it on the screen and, and cut it up in parts. Verse 27, when He says, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you've made your, you've told me what you're gonna do. <clears throat> Why does He do that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Why does God tell us? He doesn't have to. He never had to tell us anything. He's the one who initiated this relationship we have in this conversation. And he's told us what he's going to do. I'm going to build you a house. And then look at this next line. Therefore, your servant has courage and boldness to make prayers to you. 
Do you know why we have courage and boldness in our prayers? Because God has told us what He'll do, and we can know He'll do it, and we can go into His presence with confidence, knowing it's a done deal. It is a done deal. And so therefore, you feel this sense of, I can go into His presence when Junior's dying, and he can't speak, but he can hear me. And he even said the amen at the end. And I said, God, keep your promise to him. And he nodded his head. We can boldly say that because God, when He gives His Word, it is a done deal. And He wants His people to be so confident about that promise that we live off of it and we remind Him of it all the time. He gives us the courage to ask. And so our prayers must be bold for the simple fact that God has promised us and His promises embolden us. So go ahead and ask Him. There are so many things that are guaranteed, but He wants us to ask. Forgiveness. God grants us rich forgiveness, but ask Him anyway. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him for wisdom and revelation to know Him better, Ephesians 1. Ask Him for a stronger influence of the Holy Spirit. Ask Him. If you need it, ask Him. Ask Him for grace, for insight. Ask Him to help you to know how much Christ loves you. Ask Him for joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and self-control to live in this world. Go boldly and ask Him because He's told you He'll give you. If He's told you He'll give it to you, He wants you to ask Him. That's what David says and does in this passage. His second and now is verse 28. And now your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts of God uh, is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you. And then verse 27. Uh, was, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to ask you. Verse 28. And now, third one. O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised the good things to your servant. And then verse 29. And now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so you may continue forever before you. It may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This adds a different element. He's saying, I'm trusting God you to send this into the future. David is praying for his grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids and great-great-great-grandkids because he knows this promise applies to them. If you ever prayed to God for that offspring you'll never see? Have you ever prayed for your grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids that you'll probably never hold in your arms at all? You think about that future? You want to send your faith to the next generation. You want to see it go on to the next one. I think our prayers do bounce around in eternity. I think prayers land on you from your great-great-grandparents if they prayed them. And we need to be praying into the future. We need to think about that. And not just our own time and our own generation, but for those in the future. And there's David's prayer. Keep your word, God, toward them too, I pray. You know, we're familiar with that Ecclesiastes section where it says there's a time for everything. There's a time and a way for everything. And with us as God's people, when you ponder what He's done for us, there's a time to be still and quiet to just marvel 
Let your mind expand with all the things that he's done and just sit still. And then there's the time to open your mouth and enumerate and articulate all the things you can trace back to the finger of God. And then there's the time to boldly go before him and say, keep your promises, keep your word, stay faithful and keep blessing and keep being present. And sometimes all those appropriate things can appear in one prayer. God has been good to us, lavished us with blessings beyond what we could have imagined or asked for, just like Ephesians' prayer says. God is very good. Not only that, but we are aware of what He's been doing. We are in the know. So what should you do? We should be people who praise. The songs have been great tonight. They are praise songs because that's exactly what the text is. And may we be a people who know. We are the people of God, and we have the revelation before us. And He's made clear to us the things He does in our lives. And that sinks into our head. And may our mouths become unloosened after a time of silence. And may we be people who praise God often. Let Him strike you dumb with how amazing He is. And then when you catch your breath and find your words, flood Him with praise. And then... You can ask Him for those great promises He's made. He will keep every single one of them. It's a great praise section. It's a great thing for us to do as Christians, and I encourage you to do that this week. If you're not a believer and you want to become one because you know what God has done for you, be ready to say the name of Jesus from your lips, repent of your sin, and be immersed. And if you've done all that but you've gone astray and you need repentance, this night is a perfect night to get your life right with God. And we are here ready to help. It's a great praise response to repent. Do what you need to do as we stand, as we sing.